And that theme of trust is something I want to encourage your very souls with today. Because we might be in the middle of a story, but there's an author that we have that has promised the end is good. Right now, there's a collective sense, and I say this as a Welsh missionary in England, there's a collective sense of hope in the nation, isn't there? It's, uh, it's almost tangible. It's, uh, it seems to be everywhere. You can't put the TV on or the radio without someone talking about their hopes for this evening. There is something uh, very much unifying around that sense of hope. But, of course, uh, all the predictions, all the stats, no one really knows how it's going to end this evening. And so it might be that the hope that people have today ends up in elation or disappointment. Certainly one of the countries will be disappointed this evening. But those of us who hope in Christ will not be disappointed. We will not. We're not working on some statistical averages of the amount of times that God gets it right and the times that God gets it wrong. He has no better stat. He has always been faithful. Anybody experienced the faithfulness of God in their life? Has he ever let us down? Well, whoa, 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 before you answer that too quickly, there have been times when it's felt like he has. I've experienced disappointments in my life. Have you? I've experienced times in my journey where I have had my hope articulated in a certain way, and I've prayed that that articulated expectation would be realized, and then I end up with being disappointed because what happens doesn't look like that. In fact, if I go back to around 18 months ago, you remember we had our congregation um, all sat around the center stage in the middle and it was fun wasn't it leading those services because you didn't know where to look I, I, I preached and had to take I almost had to take one of those sort of tablets to stop you getting dizzy because as you preach you're spinning around just trying to connect with everybody but it was precious really precious but it wasn't just that the physical change of the room there was an incredible sense that God was doing something new you remember that Friday night that we gathered and this room was packed and we came and reconsecrated our lives to the Lord because you remember that scripture that Joshua called to the people. He said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things among you. Now, I don't know what expectation you had as to how that amazing thing would look, but I had some expectations as to how that would look. I anticipated that it would result in our neighbors giving their lives to Christ, our families running back to the altar, prodigals returning, this room having to be filled multiple times, breakouts of healing and miracles and signs and wonders. That's how I anticipated that tomorrow I'm going to do something amazing among you. And instead, we found that we couldn't meet in our buildings. We found that we were isolated and alone. We found that our connection to the family of God felt distant. Some people felt barren in their walk with the Lord. 
And this didn't look like our expectations. This didn't look like God's doing a new thing. It looked chaotic. It looked unprecedented. And yet, even in the midst of disappointments, when our expectation of what God is going to do doesn't look like we anticipate, God is still faithful. And it's not that he has let us down, it's that the way we articulated our hopes are different to what he's doing. Now that's hardly surprising because let me read to you a verse in Isaiah 43. And along this theme, it says in verse 19 of Isaiah 43, and by the way, we're not continuing today the series on um, Get Dressed for Success. We'll continue that again next week. But this is a one-off this week. And it says this, For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Now, when something new happens... It's unfamiliar, isn't it? It doesn't look like the old. So it is always possible that we miss the new because we're looking for a better version of the old. We're looking for an improved version of what was. And it's really possible that we miss the new. So this exhortation here, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Band, I know that you need to go and get ready for the open air, so you go and get, get stuck in. I know that you're, you're trying to find a moment you can slip off unnoticed, and it isn't going to happen. So and unless you've got wings and you can fly off the stage... But I think that might gather attention as well. But thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Shall we? Still here? <laughs> Can't get rid of them. Not that we want to. This great. Goes on to say, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Amen. That's our God. Amen. That's what he does. That's his specialty. He does new things, and he makes ways where it doesn't seem like there is a way. It seems like an impossibility. It seems like the furthest probable thing that might happen. My favorite verse in the entire scripture is found in Philippians 1.6. And it starts off with these words, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen. I love that first part, being confident. Because that's not being confident in yourself, being confident in your identity. It's not being confident that the journey is going really well. It's not being confident that you're surrounded by loads of streams it might be that you're in a wasteland. It might be that you're in a difficult time. But we can be confident of this, that God who starts always finishes. That line, the old Mastermind series on TV, I've started, so I've finished. And God always says, I've started, so I will finish. 
And right now, there is so much change taking place. There is so much going on in our society. But I want to assure you this morning that God is faithful and God will finish that which he has started. And he is at work in the nations of the world. And he is at work to, to complete that which he has begun. And it's true, not just on a macro level of the church across the world. It's not just true of Rediscover as a church family. It's true of your life as well, that what God has started, He will complete. I've been here um, coming up to eight years this November. And so, um, really in those eight years, unless I've not been aware of it, have I repeated stories. But I'm going to tell you a few stories that I might have told in the first couple of years of being here because I think after eight years I've earned the right to recycle some of them. <laughs> I get jealous. Of the, I used to be, I was itinerant for 10 years and I only had three sermons in 10 years and I've got eight years worth. So I'm going to recycle some things because I feel they're pertinent for where we're at. Being confident of this, I remember there was a time when I was uh, talking about itinerating. I was due to speak at an event in, uh, in Italy. Wow, what a contemporary country to choose today. And I'd been invited to speak at this event on a Friday night in Pisa, or just up the road from Pisa. Uh, but the problem was, on the Friday daytime, I had another event that was taking place in England. So I needed to get a flight that would get me from uh, the Midlands, where, near where I was based, across to Pisa, and I had to time it so that I could do both things. And I found a ticket that would enable me to do that. The problem was, but well, it wasn't a problem, it was just a little bit of a hassle, that I couldn't get a direct flight to Pisa that got me there in time. I had to get a change. So I, I went to Birmingham Airport after booking my tickets, and I checked in at the check-in desk, and I handed my tickets over, and they gave me two boarding passes. One was for boarding the flight in Birmingham to France, to Paris, and then the other one was changing over, getting to a new gate in Paris, and getting the second leg of the flight to Pisa. So I get on my flight after being assured that I, my bag would be automatically transferred and I had both boarding passes, both of them had seat numbers on and so I get on my flight in Birmingham and I take off and I land in Paris on time and all's good and I make my way through all of the various security checks and I get to the departure gate for my second flight from Paris to Pisa and I'm sat in the departure lounge, and I pull out my Kindle, and I begin to read. And, you know, when you're sat in those busy environments, you're not really, there can be lots of noise, but when I get locked into a book, I get locked into a book. Like, the, the word, Nita sometimes is shouting, Mark, Mark! And I'm just, I don't hear it, because I'm in my book. I'm lost in this world in a book, and that's where I was. So I was sat in the departure gate, I had about half an hour before the gate opened for us to get onto the second flight, and I'm reading my Kindle. And when I'm reading my Kindle, um, I notice that there's a voice on the tannoy that sounds like it's increasingly becoming slightly frustrated. <laughs> and all I pick up was, Monsieur Pug. Now, I don't speak French very well. All I know how to say is, j'ai 11 which means I'm 11, <laughs> which was how old I was when I learned it. And je m'appelle Marc. 
and um, Jabita the Pedigal, which means I live in Wales, which, you know, none of that apart from Je m'appelle Marc is very useful. So I didn't understand what was being said in French on the tannoy, but I, I remember lifting my head and thinking, Monsieur Pug, that's a funny name. <laughs> and then I thought, actually, my past travels in, uh, throughout Europe, sometimes they have seen the spelling of my name. You still here? <laughs> we have the builders in next, pulling the ceiling down. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, that's it? Well done, guys. Come on, let's give them a round of applause again. And I remember my previous travels in Europe. Sometimes the spelling of my surname, P-U-G-H, Pew, a good Welsh name, would sometimes be mistakenly pronounced as Pug. And I thought... Someone has got, some French person has got a similar name, Monsieur Pug. And so I put my head back down into my Kindle and I began to read and then I heard this voice sounding a little bit more exasperated in French and I thought, I wonder, I wonder if they're trying to get my attention. So I go to the reception desk and I say, um, Bonjour, j'ai 11 ans, um, je habite à Pays de Galles, um, je m'appelle... Uh, Mark, Monsieur Mark Pugh, Pug. Ah, and began to talk in French. I didn't understand a word she was saying, but she looked very pleased to see me. And then she began to, in broken English, at least this is what I think she was saying, was that they have overbooked the flight and there's no seat for me. And what they were going to offer was a night in a nice Paris hotel with some financial compensation, and they would get me to Pisa the following morning. Now, if you're not in a rush, that's quite a nice offer to get part of your flight paid for, a bit of cash in the back pocket in a nice night in Paris. If Nita had been with me, it would have been a great opportunity for us to enjoy Paris. But she wasn't, and also I had this small issue of the reason I was going to Pisa was I was preaching that night. I needed to get there. So I said, no, I, I can't speak another French word, no. And they said, we, oui, no, we, oui, no. And I said, I need to be there tonight. She said, we have no seats. I said, and then I remembered. You see, I'm not naturally um, a bombastic, confident person. Here I was in another country with a language I didn't know. I didn't have any good reason to be confident, except I remembered in my pocket I had a ticket with a seat number. This entitled me to get on that flight. So I pulled my ticket out. I said, no. I'm getting on that flight. She asked me to take a seat for a few moments. And then um, she put another announcement on the tanner, which I didn't understand what she said. But then I saw someone else go to the desk. And she called me over. She said, this gentleman here has offered to stay behind for the night. And he's given you his seat. So I thanked him. Um, and... Uh, it, was, it, was, it worked really well for him. He wasn't in a rush, and he was pleased to get the arrangement that was offered to me. So I got on the flight. I had a better seat than I would have had originally, <laughs> and it was all good, and I got to Pisa just in time to get to the service. The question is this. Where did I get my confidence from? It wasn't me. It wasn't my abilities. It wasn't my experience. It was what I had. 
Where do you get your confidence from? Is it because you've lived a good week? Is it because you're competent? Is it because you've been here before and you know what to do? Or is it because God is faithful and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Let me tell you, that's what your confidence comes from. It's in him. And see, I am doing a new thing. See, the hope that we have in our hearts is not a hope that is just wishfully hoping that one day we will win. We've, if you've never read all the way through this book, get to the end and you find out it's okay. It, it's not the same for those who know Jesus as those who don't. And it's that that compels us. It's that that causes us to want to be hope and light in the world because it's a good news story if people receive it. And those who don't, we're compelled. It's the love of Christ that compels us to share this news with the world around us because it's good news for those who know him. And we can be confident because in fact, even in the most difficult moments in this world, the scripture teaches us that we don't grieve like the world does when we lose someone that we love. Because, as Paul said, to be absent for the, from the body is to, to be present with the Lord. And the, there, there are family members that we've lost. There are people we've loved that have lost in this world. And they have been promoted. They have been taken to glory. We're not wishfully sitting around thinking, oh, I hope it's okay for them. They are rejoicing. Our hope is not as, as the hope of this world is because we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We can be confident that he is at work. I've been reading through the story of Joseph again recently and you see the twists and the turns that this man experienced in his life. We see as a young man that he had these dreams. We see the favor of the Father on his life. We see the manifestation of the favor of the Father with this multicolored coat. And we see Joseph quite naively sharing this dream to his brothers who resented both the favoritism that his dad gave and probably resented the fact that they were working hard and he was able just to swan through his days and probably resented all of that, all of those sibling rivalries that often happen in families. And so they were about to kill him, but they didn't kill him. They sold him and into human trafficking, and they, he got taken into Egypt. And when he was there, he got bought by Potiphar, very wealthy governor in Egypt, and Joseph found favor in that home, and he worked hard, and he did well, and he had no church to visit on Sunday. He had no community. He had no, none of those things that had become part of his expression of the favor of the father on his life. He felt abandoned. He had the pain of what he'd lost. And he was alone. He was isolated. He had no accountability groups. He had no Bible to read from. He had no scrolls he could take with him. He had no internet that he could download a later sermon from somewhere. He had nothing. Just a few stories from his father Jacob, about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet in that place, he kept true and faithful to God. 
And he served Potiphar well, and then Potiphar's wife makes advances to this young man, Joseph. We understand Potiphar's wife was beautiful. She was just, just desirous. And Joseph was being invited by her into bed, and he said, no, no. God, raise up a generation today who will say no. Remember a preacher saying once that Joseph had enough testosterone to jumpstart a dead elephant. And yet he said no. He was able to stand strong and say no. And he didn't have the accountability groups. I don't even think they had cold showers in those days. And yet he said no. Because my eyes are on the Lord. And as a result, you'd expect God to say, well done, Joseph. Well done, I'm promoting you now. You might come to me and say, I, I served the Lord faithfully and he's opened a new door and I feel rewarded by my faithfulness to the Lord. What happens to Joseph? He gets accused of rape. He gets put in prison and forgotten. When he's in prison, he interprets some people's dreams. He says, remember me when you get out. And they didn't remember him. They forgot until some years later when the Pharaoh had a dream that couldn't be interpreted and one of his workers that had been in the prison with Joseph remembered Joseph and said, oh, there is this Hebrew, there's this Israelite that is able to interpret dreams. Go and get him. And Joseph interpreted this dream and then gets elevated. And some years later, a famine is in the land. And Joseph's brothers come to get food because from the distant land away that they are now starving Jacob sends them, every one of them, except his youngest brother, Reuben, who had sort of become like the delegated Joseph in the family. And they come to get food, and Joseph is now prime minister of Egypt. He's in charge of the supplies. He recognizes brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. And he grants them food, and there's a whole series of twists and turns, and sometime later, they all come back. And they come and settle, and his dad, Jacob, comes, and his brothers, Reuben, and all of his brothers come, and they settle in the land of Egypt, and they're provided for. But when Jacob dies, his brothers say, are you going to turn on us now? Is this going to be the moment you create revenge? And Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but what you intended to harm me, God has turned around for good. For good. I want you to know, the enemy has tried his best to harm the people of God and the world over the last year and a half. And he's not gone on holiday. He is rampantly raging through the earth, seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I want you to know, you can be confident of this, that God who started a good work will be faithful to complete it in you. And what the enemy intended to harm you, God will turn around for good. And that's not a false hope. That's not wishful thinking. That's not holding on by the skin of your teeth. That's the reality that God is more than able to create streams in the wilderness. You know, there are times it doesn't necessarily feel like there's something happening. Because to know the promise that there are going to be streams, rivers in the dry wasteland and pathways through the wilderness, that promise only really makes sense when the experience that someone is having is a wasteland or it is dry. The promise 
is a prophetic promise that's in spite of the circumstances. I, I've been finding as I've been reconnecting with people over the last few months that there are many people who feel dry right now. There has been a sense of faithfulness to the Lord. There's been faithfulness. You've been doing communion in the morning with us. You've been doing Bible readings like never before. You've been praying. But there feels like a dryness. And I want you to know you don't get your confidence that God is at work because of how you feel in your current context. Joseph didn't feel like the purposes of God were happening when he was in that prison. But he knew that God is able to make streams in the wasteland. He knew that God is faithful to his promises. And I want to announce to you today that God is faithful. And church, you can be confident. Now I find that God gives little clues and little signs that there are things taking place behind the scenes. They're often hints. When I was, when I was um, first going out with Nita, I was young. I met her when I was 16. I knew I was going to lose my hair young, and so I needed to, um, you know, manage to reel her in before that happened. I wasn't shaving properly. I was really young. So cute. Thank you. That's a, that feels really manly. Cute. I was cute, apparently. I thought I was being really manly, but I was cute. But I remember, I remember the first time I held her hand. And I don't know why it is, but I've, I've always got warm hands. You know, sometimes they say warm hands, cold heart. I hope that's not true. But my hands always feel like they're pretty warm. But I noticed her hand was really cold. And so it became one of those chat-up lines during our courtship. Gosh, I'm sure my age calling it courtship, aren't I? I remember I'd say, let me warm your hand up for you. And I would take her hand and my warm hand would take her cold hand and warm it up. And her hands always were cold. But I noticed that when she was expecting our first child, her hand wasn't cold when she was pregnant. It was hot. And so I thought that's interesting. Don't understand the science behind that, but she had warm hands and I couldn't use that chat-up line, but we've been married for years by that point anyway, so don't think I needed that chat-up line any longer. And I noticed that then when the child was born, her hands went cold again. And then when she was pregnant again, her hands went warm again. And we were celebrating, I think it was our 15th wedding anniversary, and I decided I was going to be really romantic and I was going to arrange a babysitter for our two kids for a weekend. I was going to book a nice hotel in Stratford-upon-Avon 
the Shakespeare home. I was going to book into the local Shakespeare theater, and we were going to watch a performance of Romeo and Juliet. I was going to wine and dine her. We were going to walk along the river in Stratford, and it was going to be the height of romance. And I didn't let on any of this had been arranged. All the babysitter was arranged. And so I surprised her. Babysitters came around, whisked her off in the car. We went to Stratford-upon-Avon. We booked into this beautiful hotel. We dressed up in the night, and we went to the Royal Shakespeare Theatre. And we take our seats and a brilliant view of the stage. And there's lots of hustle and bustle in this busy room. And then the lights go down. And the curtains open. And the actors come onto the stage. And I reach my hand across to hold Nita's. And her hand was hot. I don't remember any of the performance that night. All I could think was pregnant or not pregnant, that's the question. We weren't expecting or planning a third child. So glad that that question, pregnant or not pregnant, that's the question. I'm so, so glad that she was. And we rejoice at the birth of our third child. But there was no other signs that we were aware of. All I had to go on was a warm hand. I found over the years that when God is doing something new, there are little subtle signs that he's up to something. And I see them all around. I believe for the church of Jesus Christ that will hold the hand of God that you will find no matter how dry you feel, no matter how many questions you've got, no matter how many disappointments you're carrying, I believe you will find God's warm hands holding yours as he leads you, as he is able to put over your life a confession, what the enemy has intended for harm, I'm going to turn around for good. And one final picture. Caterpillars. I imagine Mr. Caterpillar crawling across the earth, chewing away at his little plants and being fairly okay with his lot in life. Multiple legs. Does life get any better than this? In a nice garden with lots of juicy leaves. This is the height of, of caterpillar living. And maybe he planned a holiday, maybe he planned what his future would look like, maybe he goes to Caterpillar Gym, and he sort of anticipates getting his muscles a bit stronger, and all is okay. But then, something begins to happen, and it's confusing. We know 
because we've studied a little bit of science and history, we understand that there's a chrysalis stage. And that chrysalis stage cocoons the caterpillar. I wonder what's going through the mind of the caterpillar at that moment. I would imagine it's, wouldn't it be nice to crawl around again and go back to the leaves? Wouldn't it be nice to have something of my old life back? But you and I know the realities that that caterpillar Who wants this? The last one said that. And in that stage of the chrysalis, I imagine there's so many questions going through that caterpillar's mind. And it happens every time God does something new. The Israelites in the wilderness said, We were better off in Egypt. We were better off going back to what was. But we can be confident that God who has started a good work will be faithful to complete it. And all we need to be is obedient. Come on, let's stand together. We're going to ask Sean to come and lead us in communion in just a moment. This will be our final response this morning before we those who are able to join us today. And I know the weather's not great, and we almost came close to canceling today, but, you know, I, I, I thought we'd been singing for years. I'm going to sing in the middle of a storm, louder and louder. And then the first sign of mist, and we shut up. But no, let's just go, even if we have to change it, we're not lounging around on mats, come across and join us. Let's sing with our masks off. Let's give our praise to Jesus this morning. But I want to encourage you. Have you lost hope? And I get it if you have. Because it feels a dry place. It feels a wilderness. It doesn't seem to be a way through. But I assure you, as someone who has seen the way God works over many years, someone who has experienced that, but far more importantly than that, the patterns of the nature of God I see throughout the scriptures, that he's at work and he's doing a new thing. If you are saying, God, I want to obey you in every season, just let that be your prayer now and thank him that you can hold on to him. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people in this room and online. Thank you you've not finished with us. Thank you that you're at work across the earth. And I thank you that you've started so you'd finish. Help us to be confident in that now. In spite of the season around us, help us to be a confident people. In Jesus' name. Please feel free to take your seat while Sean leads us in communion.